You're listening to a Stranger Cast at thestranger.com. Hey, it's Wednesday, April 24th, and I'm Eli Sanders, and this is Blabbermouth, the Stranger podcast in which we talk about what's going on this week. Dan Savage and Rich Smith have read the Mueller report, so have I, and we are going to talk about what's in it, and then what should be done about what's in it, like should Donald Trump be impeached right now, or is it smarter politically to just wait? And then with Katie Herzog, we will talk about the Supreme Court of the United States getting ready to approve Donald Trump's plan to put a citizenship question on the U.S. Census, which is going to cause a lot of trouble, particularly in big cities and blue states. And also Elizabeth Warren, a caller, made a very good point after last week's show. We talked about Warren not getting enough attention and then haven't given her enough attention. So we're going to give her some attention as well as her policies. Finally, Jasmine Keimig and Chase Burns on Beyonce's live show on Netflix and Lizzo's Twitter feud with a reviewer who said something that Lizzo really didn't like. But did the reviewer actually have a point? Jasmine and Chase are going to fight about that. But first, Dan Savage and Rich Smith on the Mueller Report. Rich Smith, hello. Hi, Eli. Dan Savage, hello. Hello. We are here almost exactly one week after Rich Smith's father, Robert Mueller, delivered through William Barr his redacted report. It feels like a lot longer than a week. (laughs) You're giving Mueller agency there that he does not have. He turned his report into Barr who then selectively edited, summarized, misrepresented, mischaracterized it, lied his fucking lying face off about it. Mueller didn't make this all happen through Barr. Barr is standing between us and Mueller and telling us, nothing to see here, move along, please. Good point. However, we've got like 450 pages, around 400 pages of information from Robert Mueller, a lot of it blacked out by William Barr, But a lot of it, very interesting. It's been analyzed and will continue to be analyzed. But let's just talk about the things that we saw in the Mueller report or learned from it that are still with us this week. I will go first. (laughs) The president, not uh, a shocker, but the president lies and tells his subordinates to lie. And very often they carry out his orders. But when They get told to do something that they're totally, totally certain is illegal. Sometimes they say no. So basically everything that the resistance – You're talking about McGahn not firing Mueller at the behest of Trump. You're talking about Corey Lewandowski not – fuck, what was was Corey Lewandowski going to do? Fire Mueller. Fire Mueller. (laughs) (laughs) When McGahn wouldn't do it, he asked Corey Lewandowski. And then that kid that got to mow the White House lawn, (laughs) he refused to do it too. No, he was asked to fire Mueller. Yes, yeah. It's like a kind of Saturday Night Massacre that never gets to Trump actually pulling the trigger on the massacre. He just goes down the list of flunkies at the White House and tells them to do it. They say no, and he stews and gets distracted. And this means he didn't commit obstruction. Yet, if I, you know, if somebody were to speak to a hitman about offing their spouse, they will get arrested for attempted murder. They will go to jail. You don't have to – the person that you asked to murder your spouse doesn't have to go through with it and murder your spouse for you have to, for you have to have committed a crime. Right. 
Never mind the little question of why Trump is so obsessed with firing Robert Mueller. And, and why he's stopping... such a fucking coward. Can we talk about that too? Sure. He could call, he could show up at the FBI and fire <laughs> Mueller in person. Mm-hmm. One of the things we've seen from Trump over and over and over again in the last two years is he won't fire anyone directly. He kept hinting to people he wanted Tillerson fired, but he wouldn't fire him himself. That himself. He sometimes, he, Nielsen, he fired Nielsen on Twitter, not to her face when she showed up at the White House. To talk to him. He's a fucking coward. The man whose catchphrase is, you're fired. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that's about, but it seems pretty consistent. It's like somebody having the catchphrase, I'm hung. (laughs) Yeah, probably not. (laughs) If your catchphrase is, you're fired, you're probably not the kind of person who can fire people. Okay, so, uh, Rich, unless there's anything else from the Mueller report that you are dying to flag. I would, no, I, would, I mean, I would just, there was a, a couple funny phrases that, you know, people who got a searchable version of the uh, Mueller report immediately control F'd and looked for fuck and shit. And there was pl- pl- plenty of, 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 of choice phrases to pull out. Good point. My, my presidency is fucked. Um, you know, the, the anxiety that Trump showed when he learned that my father would be looking into his uh, <laughs> his recent activities. And then just to say, um, maybe as a way of teeing up conversation on, on impeachment, just the extent of that, don, the, the obstruction, those like 12 or 15 pages that cover obstruction, it really does seem like Mueller is setting up Congress to say he probably obstructed justice five times minimum (laughs) and here is all the evidence for it or at least here's the conclusions from my report based on the evidence that we found for it please do your job right and according Uh, to existing DOJ policy you can't indict a sitting president that's not the law it's not a constitutional finding by the Supreme Court that's just the DOJ's hunch they probably oughtn't to do that and Mueller kicked it to Congress and acknowledge that fact that if somebody's going to indict the president it's going to be a political process it's going to be impeachment not indictment because he's sitting president DOJ won't indict him the thing that it keeps plaguing me in the middle of the night is that Don Jr. is not going to jail and is not being indicted. It used to be said that ignorance of the law is not an excuse. Now it's just ignorance is an excuse. They're yeah. literally arguing that They're Don Jr. is so to collude. fucking stupid that he didn't realize that what he was doing, including lying to Congress, was illegal and a crime, even though that's explained to you before you justify to Congress. However, yeah. the way that I soothe myself sometimes on this point is... We don't, I don't want to hear about that. <laughs> you don't want to hear about my self-soothing strategies? Uh, no. There are 14 other... Uh, investigations that Mueller has spun off. And one of them could be an investigation into collusion with WikiLeaks. So there was no collusion with Russia, William Barr says. But in that press conference, I was just reading a really interesting article in the Washington Post about this. He says there was no illegal coordination with WikiLeaks. But there might have been coordination with WikiLeaks that falls within the technical scope of the law, but will really be disgusting to most Americans. And that's where Donald Trump Jr. comes in and Roger Stone. Does that soothe you or do you just get a brand new set of blue balls issued to you? (laughs) Because I feel like I've got such a bad case of blue balls after the Mueller report came out and it was spun successfully the way that it was. There is evidence of crimes in there, impeachable offenses left, right and center, and nothing's going to happen. And it seems like the Mueller report being the top dog report is going to delegitimize these lesser investigations and we're not going to get charges there either so i'm just not going to lay in the tub playing with my own nipples and fantasizing about it for the next year and a half like you are with your soothing strategies let's not stop there talking about your blue balls (laughs) and your nipples there is the question like you said of impeachment and whether we should give the people what they want give you your release right now and actually start (laughs) impeachment proceedings or 
with, you know, smarter strategery, some people argue, hold it out there and wait for more facts. That is what Nancy Pelosi is saying. And she has been right on a lot of stuff so far. I am willing to defer to Nancy Pelosi. That said, part of the strategy here kind of mirrors the like marriage equality fight. Obama pretended not to support marriage equality. We pretended to believe him and yelled at him and told him to evolve loudly. Um, she says, Pelosi says she doesn't think we should move on impeachment now. She's probably right. Needs to bring the country along in the same way that Obama's hemming and hawing and hamleting about marriage equality helped to bring the country along. So she's going to oppose it and block it. And we're going to pretend to believe that she doesn't actually support impeachment and yell at her. And maybe in six months or a year, we will evolve toward impeachment. Uh, Impeach yeah. the motherfucker when Nancy Pelosi says so. <laughs> I don't yeah, but one of the ways you get Nancy Pelosi to that point where she's ready to impeach them is not by screaming impeach the motherfucker when you feel like it, but impeach the motherfucker already. Let's just list before uh, we hear from you, Rich, all the people who want to impeach the motherfucker already because more and more are coming around to this position. So Elizabeth Warren came out really quickly. Wait, wait who's Elizabeth Warren again? We are going to talk about okay. that more in the next segment. Uh, Elizabeth Warren candidate for president senator says that donald trump should be impeached and she really boiled it down into a tweet she says the russians attacked our democracy and donald trump's campaign and donald trump welcomed that attack and have done nothing about it so yeah he should be impeached and it comes out today that nielsen was urging the president to take action to, to protect the 2020 election and not only hasn't he, not only haven't they, she was told not to raise the subject in front of him. Because it's pissed. so offensive to Donald Trump's well, but delicate ears. also because he, he doesn't want to protect the election from Russian interference right. because he benefited from it last time and he's counting on it in 2020. They cut half of her cybersecurity force right after Russian attack, or right after the Russians attacked us. And she was pissed. It was the only thing she was pissed about. Not separating families at the border. She was content <laughs> to do that. But the second that you like to but, defang her attempts to block the Russians uh, uh, attacking but us. But oddly, no one, if we always hear about how pissed and upset Tillerson's are and the Nielsen's are. Yeah. No one's ever pissed or upset about anything he does enough to resign in protest that day when right. they're pissed. Right. They just keep their notes for when a special counsel comes and puts them under oath and then they tell the truth about what happened quietly. So Elizabeth Warren wants to impeach. Kamala Harris wants to impeach. Bernie Sanders says, "Mm, I think that would benefit Trump. So no, he's Mm -hmm. kind of in the Nancy Pelosi camp. Ilhan Omar, AOC, and Seattle's uh, Pramila Jaipal, they're all on the record for impeachment. Rich Smith? I, yeah, I think that uh, we should start impeachment hearings uh, immediately. I, you know, I think that uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi's argument is that, well, we're going to basically be doing impeachment hearings by having congressional hearings where we call in McGahn and Mueller and we do all the stuff we would have done and we call we just don't call them impeachment hearings. And but we then, can upgrade to impeachment hearings at any time. Yeah, at any time during the process. And then you know, the second that Nancy Pelosi takes the public poll and, 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 and thinks that more people are for impeachment than against it, then she'll go for it. I've also heard this argument that um, the impeachment is somehow going to unify the Republicans around uh, Trump even more than they already are question mark like this is I, a- I am I am I haven't found an anti-impeachment um argument that is particularly uh convincing to me I, I'd only add that the most convincing one is well they'll, they'll impeach him in the house and they're not going to confirm him in the Senate and President Trump gets two victories now because he could say well the Senate didn't confirm me for impeachment I'm being attacked by Democrats yada 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 mm-hmm. 
I don't really buy any of those arguments. Latest polls show that most Americans are in favor of impeaching the president. Um, the, the Quinnipiac poll in January, uh, according to Jamel Bowie in the New York Times, uh, if you would like to fact check me, <laughs> Eli was looking. <laughs> Eli is looking around. Um, and also, um, there are other polls, I'm sure, that, 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 that say otherwise. But, you know, there's at least some public support. So majority of public support for it. Uh, I also think it's a it's largely a problem of with with Democratic politicians. If you can't go back to your district and say Donald Trump welcomed an attack on America and he's going to welcome it again, and I think that we should use the full power of congressional oversight uh, to in order to make sure that we know all of the facts and, and check that authority, then you don't deserve to be in the fucking House of Representatives. I really, you know, and I think that... Maybe it's a question and a test for the American people. Yeah. Our representatives come to us and say, this is what we know, this is what we have to do. And if Dems lose, if Dems get voted out, all right, we're done. We're hungry. We're Poland. It's over. And we should stop pretending that not only we live in a democracy that functions, but that there's any interest on the behalf of the majority of the electorate to live in a democracy that functions. Here, here. I mean, that, and that's the moral basis of the of, of for, for, for starting this, these impeachment hearings. It's like he broke the law. He is either above the law or he is not above the law. And demo- this is the, a test of the foundational principle of the government. And he's of the also government. rushing to give Congress maybe more reasons to impeach him on obstruction. He is telling his subordinates not to testify uh, in front of Congress. He's trying to invoke executive privilege for Don McGahn, his former White House counsel, whose executive privilege he already waived for Mueller's investigation. Not provide documentation. He's telling people in his administration not to honor subpoenas. He's provoking a constitutional crisis. Mm -hmm. What happens next? The House Sergeant at Arms goes and arrests Don McGahn? Well, that may happen with the, uh, not McGahn, but another Trump flunky who was involved in the security clearances for Kushner, who Trump has ordered not to respond to Congress's subpoena. Yeah, so what does happen? Congress is sitting there trying to figure out how to enforce their subpoena without Trump's Justice Department. Their constitutional responsibility to provide oversight for the executive branch. This is their job. All these constitution humpers, all these Trump fans who are painting these pictures of Trump and Jesus writing the U.S. Constitution together – Ah, it just I just want to curl up in the fetal position on the floor and die. But there's something I wanted to say about a point you raised. Like people worry that this will just rally Republicans to Donald Trump's side in the election. That's over. That's done. Yeah. Donald Trump has wider and deeper support in the Republican Party than any Republican president ever. And there's an important caveat to that. That's a smaller Republican Party. Right. Fewer people identify as Republicans. A lot of people who don't like Trump have left the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. So if he if impeaching him gets a hundred percent of the support of the folks, the fucking shitbag racist dumb fucks left in Donald Trump's Republican Party, we can still beat them. And I will just add a lot of people point to um, uh, Newt Gingrich's uh, Congress impeaching uh, Bill Clinton as a reason not to because Republicans lost a bunch of seats uh, after they tried to do that. But this is what goes along with the point is that Bill Clinton was extremely popular at the time. You know, he had 70 percent popularity while he was being impeached. It dropped to a low, low 61 percent during his second term. And the Trump rea- doesn't and that- have that level of popularity. And I don't think he's going to get it because he's being impeached for crimes he committed. Right. And <laughs> the, the people knew people weren't idiots uh, during the Clinton impeachment. What started as an investigation into a fucked up real estate deal in Arkansas 20 years earlier became impeaching the president for lying about a blowjob and encouraging this was the obstruction of justice charge encouraging someone else to lie about whether he got that blowjob or not 
Uh, and that was considered obstruction. He was impeached for that, impeached for obstruction of justice. But the American people looked at that and said, why are they asking him about who's sucking his dick? How is this relevant to the real estate deal in Arkansas 20 years ago? How does this impact his performance as president? People rejected the premise of that investigation and that impeachment Meanwhile, they remember Trump standing on the stage at Helsinki <laughs> and, and kowtowing to Putin. Or asking WikiLeaks to hack Hillary Clinton's emails. And if they don't remember, it's on tape and you can play it over and over again. But return to that small percentage of Americans and also a, a relatively small percentage of the Republican Party that is ride or die Trump. Mm-hmm. Right. So there is an interesting opinion piece in the New York Times by Joe Lockhart, who is the press secretary for Bill Clinton, who goes takes that fact and goes in a different direction. He says, okay, hold on. There's something bigger than impeachment. This is the headline of the story. And that is this prize that has been elusive to everyone on the left for a long time. The idea of cracking the president's base and totally fracturing the Republican Party is within sight, he basically believes. That if you continue to investigate and don't give them the pushing off point of impeachment and this, you know, thing that Trump is going to portray as an attack on him and his base, you and you continue to basically take the clothes off the emperor, then you can ultimately maybe fracture Trump's base. And even if you don't, you can really damage the Republican Party and lead it to a continued collapse, at which point you have in 2020 Democrats in control of the House and the Senate and the presidency and then you have a huge you, political you keep saying, realignment if you so it's just the hearings and the investigations that will remove the clothes from the already naked emperor in that metaphor yeah and so that's that's what will fracture the republican base finding out that the crook that they elected is the crook that they knew him to be and even if it doesn't fracture that hardcore ride or die trump base it really uh, cements the opposition of the rest of the Republican Party, the never Trumpers, the, oh, I can't be with Trump anymore people, the independents who finally have a real justification for abandoning the Republican Party and gives the Democrats a real chance at a strong majority in the House. So that's just Lockhart endorsing Pelosi's strategy. Investigate, 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 don't impeach, and that will somehow magically fracture Yeah. He says there's a bigger prize than impeachment. Keeping Trump in office will destroy the Republican Party. Also, just in the country and the planet. I was going to say, I don't (laughs) care if the Republican Party is fractured a little bit more. There's a few more cracks in the Republican Party in 18 months. It doesn't matter if we don't have a democracy because we don't try. That collection of assholes, I would describe them as fissures. Great big fissures. (laughs) All right. Well, how about this? That's my that's my counter argument. My also counter argument to to, to that point is that um, uh no, Republicans like Mitt Romney, who voted like they don't get to say I'm different than him. They Susan already Collins. Yeah, they're all stained. They all supported Trump. They never get to say that like I, you know, I, I'm going to do. And because it's not going to do anything fundamentally to make that fissure. Uh, <laughs> the never, the never Trumpers in the Republican Party aren't in the Republican Party anymore. Yeah. Anyone who's in the Republican Party still says they're never Trumper is lying. Yeah. Okay. How about this? Two words to end this whole blue ball session in the bathtub, <laughs> uh, hoping for impeachment. They are Mike Pence. That's who you get if you impeach Donald Trump. Next. <laughs> oh, I'm not allowed going... to respond to that. You're glaring at me like <laughs> it was my idea to make him VP. Don't just drop Mike Pence in the bathtub like that <laughs> and then move on. It's traumatizing. Well, we do have to move on. We can talk about uh, that more next week. Next, we are going to talk about 
the Trump administration's plan, which seems like it's about to get endorsed by the Supreme Court to add a citizenship question to the census. And we're going to talk about Elizabeth Warren because Dan wants us to. Who is that again? Rich, would you buy a T-shirt for $50? Not if I knew it only cost $7 to make, Eli. Yeah. And you know why you know it? Why? Because Everlane told you the truth. I love their quality clothes. You never overpay with Everlane. Everlane makes only premium essentials using the finest materials without traditional markups. And they want you to know what you're paying for and why. So they just go ahead and tell you their real costs. They're radically transparent about every step in their process from the materials they use to the ethical factories they work with. No matter your style or preference, Everlane's clothes look better, cost less, and last longer. Because Everlane sells directly to you, their prices are 30 to 50% lower than traditional retailers. Essentials, like their Cotton Crew t-shirt, are exactly what they should be. Versatile, simple, stylish, and made from quality materials. Like the t-shirt you've been rocking. That's right. Just yesterday, I was wearing the ultralight uh, t-shirt. It's uh, Norm Core Blue, just like I like. And I felt, uh, I felt amazing. They sell 100% grade A cashmere sweaters. They sell premium Japanese denim made at the world's cleanest denim factory. Sparkling clean. Have you been to that factory? It's sparkling. They make Italian-made leather shoes, outerwear made from recycled water bottles, which Rich and I wear basically every day. Yeah, we wear the same jacket every day. We look exactly the same doing it. They have those perfectly fit Oxford t-shirts. And here's something new from Everlane. Tread. It's a brand new sneaker brand with a mission to make the world's lowest impact sneaker designed to last and built from the most sustainable raw materials available. Check out the leather trainers available now. Raw materials, sign me up. Also, right now, you can check out our personalized collection at everlane.com slash blabbermouth. Dress like rich, dress like me if you dare, plus you'll get free shipping on your first order. That's everlane.com slash blabbermouth. Everlane.com slash blabbermouth. Katie Hertzog, hello. Hello, Eli. Let's tell a little story that begins with Wilbur Ross. (laughs) (laughs) That little bedtime reading. Yeah. (laughs) The incredibly old Secretary of Commerce who has lied about why he wanted to put a question on the census about your citizenship and my citizenship and the citizenship of anyone who might get the census in 2020. It's not really our citizenship he's, he's concerned about. That is a good point. So Wilbur Ross cannot keep his story straight about why this came up in the first place. And lower federal courts have said his explanation and the Trump administration's explanation makes no sense. That explanation is that the Trump administration, which is not really a fan of voting rights, needs to ask everyone about their citizenship in order to enforce the 1965 Voting Rights Act. In which the Supreme Court gutted at the behest of conservatives who want to suppress the vote. Right. So asking about citizenship will definitely, everyone agrees, suppress responses to the census and and what that means is undercounting people in more populous uh urban areas where right. immigrants tend to uh move for their protection from red state yahoos sanctuary cities right and, and that will then mean uh when we get to congressional reapportionment that uh, urban areas lose representation and our 
uh, Congress, which is already tilted towards acreage, will be further tilted toward acreage and away from voters. So the advantage that rural voters and red states have now in the Senate and have through gerrymandering in the House will be amplified by undercounting people who live in urban areas and live in cities. Right. And and then us having congressional reps taken away from us. This is another disaster. Yeah. I mean, people have been writing about how this is locking in structural white supremacy or locking in... Minority rule. Right. Minority rule of white people in America that is not going to be majority... But also minority white. rule of conservatives over liberals, of... Uh, agrarians over urbanites all sorts of different layers and intersections of minority rule being locked in and this has been knocked down by the courts over and over and yet here we are yeah well three federal judges have uh stopped this plan and they've said the basis of it is bullshit and now it comes to the supreme court where elections have consequences you now have two trump appointed justices brett kavanaugh and neil gorsuch And both of them, along with the rest of the Republicans, which equal a Supreme Court majority this week, sounded like they are ready to rubber stamp the plan to uh, put a citizenship question on the census. So I don't know what there is to say or do about this. It's going to happen, it looks like. The Supreme Court is going to approve it. The Trump administration, according to the Supreme Court, doesn't really need a good justification for asking the question. They just need to want to do it. And they can lie about why they did it. Mm-hmm. And Wilbur Ross lied about how this answer, how this question got added to the census and about their motivations. It was proven that he lied, lied to Congress, which is a crime. Wilbur Ross should be in prison. Instead, the Supreme Court is going to stick its tongue up Wilbur Ross's ass and give him what he wants, give Trump what he wants, give the GOP what they want. This little congressional prison is going to get kind of full. If you can get Wilbur Ross in there, this other guy who we were talking about in the last segment who won't talk about uh, Trump's clearing of Jared Kushner, we'll see. They have to... They have to build it first. But nothing matters anymore. So this is coming. This is going to happen, it seems like. And the 2020 census, which affects everything in our lives for the next decade, if we're all here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're such an optimist, Eli. I know. Well, anyway, let it be known. You're going to be asked about your citizenship. And so is everyone else in this country. Unless maybe we elect someone who can speedily reverse all this. Is this also within the power of your favorite presidential candidate, Elizabeth Warren? Yeah, she can. Yeah, if this is uh, if she's in charge in 2020, I think that she could revise the census rules. I don't know. I'm making this up as I go along. Not if Mitch McConnell's still in the Senate. He's already pledged to block everything a Democratic president will attempt to do if he is still majority leader in the the, Senate. Yeah, I think the key is to not make him majority leader. I mean, it's not that Democrats just need to to win the presidency. They need to win Congress. On the point of winning back Congress and, like you said, winning the presidency, Elizabeth Warren. So we got a call after last week's show about how we've been talking about Elizabeth Warren not getting enough attention. Let's hear that quickly. Hey, Blabbermouth. I love your podcast, but I take issue with the last episode where you're talking about how there's not enough focus on policy, how candidates like Warren aren't getting the kind of, they're not shiny enough to get the kind of attention that some of the other, the white male candidates are getting uh, from the media, yet you spent two seconds out of three segments talking about those candidates. So my suggestion is to start focusing solely on the policy positions of all of the candidates um, or just to 
stop talking about the primary altogether. I'm down. Uh, yeah, I would. I would totally endorse not talking about the primary until next year. No, <laughs> yes. I veto Eli, that. Please let no, us. No, no, get no, us, no. Let Who us you, out of host? here. <laughs> we have to talk about the primary. The debate. We actually don't have to. Let's talk about Gentleman Jack. <laughs> Did you watch it yet? <laughs> yeah, no. But I, I, even if I haven't watched it, I'd rather talk about that. It than wasn't the primary. as good as I hoped it would be. Actually, it was really kind of flat. Very like PBS, much like masterpiece the theater kind of eighties nineties thing. Reminded me of these bio, th- you know, these uh, old PBS shows about the wise are flipping through the channels you are going to run into democratic presidential debates starting in like a month and a half there's not going to be a way to not talk about the primaries and i'm sorry but we can't talk about policy only however we can talk about policy more and we can actually talk about elizabeth warren the caller's point is a good one we talked about how warren wasn't getting enough attention and then as an example of that we just repeated the sin and talked about the white guys who are getting attention so let's talk about elizabeth warren she has policies. She's got great policies. And all right, we're them. done with the segment. She has policies. That's all we need to know. Warren, that, she has policies. Let's talk about the one she rolled out this week. She's going to erase a lot of student debt. Yeah, not only erase student debt. So she laid out this super ambitious plan. Um, it's She's calling it the universal free college plan. So not only would she erase the debt of like 45 million Americans, she, she would... Um, Develop a fund, a $50 billion annual fund for historically black colleges. And then the really most ambitious part of this, she would make all public college tuition and fee fee free in the future, which is just uh, would be a massive restructuring with a tax on the the ultra wealthy. So if you make unless you make over $50 million a year, you won't face any any higher tax to this. So this will only be a tax on the super, super wealthy. It's like two cents. It's two percent over fifty million dollars, or one percent. Not in income, but in wealth. wealth. This is a wealth, wealth tax. Yeah, and then a uh, and then one percent on wealth over a billion dollars, and this will be an annual tax. And so she actually, so the, the the natural sort of response to this by people who object to these high taxes is, you know, rich people are just going to take their money overseas. Well, she also has proposed a forty percent exit tax on people who try to to renounce their citizenship and take their money overseas. So she's also talking oh. about. I know, I, Dan, I, yeah, I don't think I've ever seen Dan this. Gives me shivers. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, she's also talking about really stepping up in IRS enforcement, something that has fallen by the wayside, um, and and presumably target the IRS more at direct them more towards rich people than the poor people they currently audit. So she's like actually thought this through. The Washington Post, which is out today with an editorial saying that Elizabeth Warren has the wrong answer to America's student debt problem, even the Washington Post in its first paragraph says. Elizabeth Warren is far ahead of everyone with actual policies, and they wish that other people would step up. So what is your – With some policy proposals that aren't going to uh, pick the pocket of our billionaire. (laughs) That is – yes. That's kind of what they're saying. She One thing to note about this. So she has – she keeps – she publishes all of these policies on Medium. So if you want to look at her policies, she's releasing like one every couple days. Like she has one about universal free free, uh, preschool. So there's like tons and tons of shit on her Medium page if anybody wants to know what she's actually trying to do for the public. So what's your big theory, Katie, about why this doesn't – work okay my i'm not saying that it doesn't work i think that this is a good idea i think that public universities should be free but okay well your theory on this and then i was actually asking about why it doesn't work for warren politically okay but well uh, well for part of it is there's like fucking 25 people running and there's just like everything's diluted and she doesn't have this sort of newness and charisma as everybody else or as the as like beto and and we haven't gotten to the debates yet yeah and she has done really well at the town halls um but in terms of her actual policy position I support this. I think I would love to have my debt canceled. I hope that this happens before I pay off my debt. Um, but 
and I, I like think I think that taxing the taxing millionaires and billionaires is the best way to do this. But I also, this is going to sound a little weird, but I think we need fewer people going to college, not more people going to college. And I think that what we need, because there aren't jobs for people coming out of college. So what I think we need is a complete restructuring of our high school system. Model it more on Germany's where we have really, really robust vocational training. And we don't, it, vocational isn't like just like welders and people who like woodworkers and plumbers and shit. That can also mean coders. Um, these like, there's just, there's no reason that you, it should, a four year degree should be required to get a job in this yeah, country. Yeah, but in, two things. In Germany, in Europe, in places where universities are free, they're a lot harder to get into mm-hmm. and there's a lot more vocational and training. There's a lot fewer but people go to them. If you're slotted into vocational training, your life isn't ruined. No. You're slotted into vocational training and you come out a welder, for example, right. or a waiter, or a bartender, or a streets person, you're going to have universal health care. You're going to, your kids are going to go to good schools. You're going to get paid vacation and paid time off. Like one of the things that I think scares Americans when you say, well, not everyone should go to college. Some people should go to vocational training is here where we're from. That's a kind of economic and social death sentence where you're going to work really hard all your life. You're never going to be able to retire. You're never going to have a vacation. You're going to have shitty health care. If you have health care at all, you're not going to have a pension. So I'm all for college being harder to get into. Too many people in the United States go to college because they know that they have to go to college or they will be immiserated. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to fix the immiseration of the working class and people who don't have uh, advanced degrees for that to be a palatable solution. No, I agree with you. I mean, this is a whole scale restructuring of sort of the American economy, which I think Elizabeth Warren, she's a capitalist, but she also, I think, it agrees with this. I mean, there are ways to, you know, Elizabeth Warren also wants us to have health care. So, you know, but Warren is what I'm saying. The thing that worries me about uh, promoting trades education is the only thing is that so many of the trades that we would uh, give a vocational education for are about to be disappeared by the robot. Well, I think if you expand the definition of what vocational training is, so like I talked to the guy and and they don't actually call this vocational training anymore. That's sort of a bad term. And and for really good reason, vocational vocational schools sort of existed to reinforce this classist structure where it was – People who were upper middle class went to college and everybody else didn't. And vocational training in America really did reinforce that. But it was also terrible, terrible training for, for most of American history. And now it doesn't even exist thanks to No Child Left Behind. But this is sort of – there's a new movement on this. So Seattle Public Schools, you can take classes in computer animation. You can take maritime classes. You can take health care classes. There are all of these opportunities that aren't sort of these – that will lead to, to you know, to jobs and, and a place like Seattle, maybe even union jobs, not in most of the country, probably. So the Washington Post's argument against Elizabeth Warren's plan to cancel student debt, which, by the way, amounts to in uh, in America, one point five trillion dollars in outstanding student loans. And she wants to wipe that out. And the Washington Post says, well, this is a sweeping bailout for the middle class. That's okay. their argument. Yeah. I, I think Warren couldn't ask for yeah. like a better criticism. She just turns around and says, yes, the middle class has been screwed. Everyone who's not the 1% has not gotten a bailout, although you know, uh, financial executives and the financial sector did get a bailout after 2008. It's time for a middle class bailout. Yeah. Uh, my favorite argument, idiotic argument against Warren's uh, plan to forgive student debt was I, I don't know the name of the idiot and he got dragged for it. And he wasn't the only idiot who made this argument who got dragged for it. Everyone should. That wiping out student loan debt is an insult to everyone who struggled to pay off their student loan debt. Which is like the Emancipation Proclamation is really an insult to everyone who struggled right. to get north on the Underground Railroad. It's <laughs> such a bullshit yeah. 
argument. I mean, but I, some people are going to make that argument. I and do, some people are making that argument. I do think there are other ways she could spend this money. Like her universal uh, early education program isn't actually, doesn't actually make free preschool, which is, I think, a bigger deal to most Americans. Preschool is incredibly fucking expensive. Like you're spending as, as much or more on preschool as you would on college and you can't get federally subsidized loans for preschool. So I think that should be the priority before bailing out the students, which I also want to happen. But, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of millionaires and billionaires we can tax. I'd actually like to like it if we could like name our own billionaire millionaire who we want to take from the pool. <laughs> like, I want mine to come from Bezos or Gates or, you know. That would be nice. Just like they get to put their names on the dorm or yeah, whatever like, when they pay to get their kids into Harvard. Yeah. They also have their name put on your student loan Adopt an American. <laughs> <laughs> Hundreds okay. of thousands of yeah. them. Next... We are going to talk about Beyonce and Lizzo. I'm not going to be in that segment, am I? No. Goodbye, Dan. Rich, you want to look and feel great. I do. Like everyone. Like everyone else does. Like me. Like all of us. And luckily, snow makes looking great and feeling great incredibly simple. For just that moment when you're right out of the shower. Yeah. Or just all the moments in your home. Because like... If you're worried about not being trend-proof, which is a worry because, you know, the trends comes fast and furious, Snow makes trend-proof, beautiful, functional pieces created for how you live. And they last. Whether you just got the keys to your first place or you're looking to upgrade the pieces you've had forever, Snow has home goods that are practical and striking to look at. Snow makes luxury essentials for every room in your home, minus the markup. They partner directly with master craftsmen to create beautiful, simple products that are made to last, like wine glasses with titanium-coated stems, fast-drying towels that get softer over time, and durable porcelain dinnerware that goes in the dishwasher. They even have essentials for your bedroom, too. Snow has received rave reviews from Vogue, Fast Company, Apartment Therapy, and more. It's the home collection of your dreams, priced for your reality. And right now, Snow is offering Blabbermouth listeners 30 bucks off your first purchase of $150 or more when you go to snowhome.com slash Blabbermouth. That's S-N-O-W-E, home. Dot com slash to get $30 off your first order. Again, visit snowhome.com slash for your special offer. I like the towels. Chase Burns, hello. Hello. Jasmine Kymig, hello. Good morning. You both watched Beyonce's Homecoming. This is her big live at Coachella show that was turned into a Netflix kind of music and behind the music documentary. I watched it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of people watched it. Yeah. It was pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, it, it was great. It was really great. Uh, and for those of you that weren't in the know, that weren't didn't watch Beachella as it happened on the live stream. Like you did. Like I did last with year. With your mom. Yeah, with my mom. Um, uh, it uh, In 2018, uh, Beyonce played two weekends at Coachella, and it was an amazing, amazing, amazing performance. It featured over 100 dancers. Uh, I think it was like an hour and a half long. It's very long. And she dances through it. She brought on Solange. She brought on her husband, Jay-Z. Um, she brought back Destiny's Child. Um, she sang the uh, Black National Anthem, left every, left every voice and sing. 
Um, it was really a huge tribute to like black colleges, uh, to black Greek life, uh, to really like blackness in America. This um, is the homecoming theme. So there's a play on on the word, but it's a homecoming for Beyonce after yeah. giving birth to twins. Right. And also it <clears throat> is a kind of recreation of homecoming at historically black colleges. Yeah. So, yeah, there's stepping. Uh, there's a huge marching band. Um Lots of songs that are played like swag surf, um, you know, at these kind of college games, um, she she incorporated into uh, her her set um, and she did it twice, <laughs> mm, <yeah. laughs> which is incredible. And so the, the documentary, it, it infuses or it incorporates footage from both of these performances, only one of which was live streamed. Yeah. And just to drive home the point of how amazing and on point this performance is so they filmed these two shows that were a weekend apart but the uh, documentary cuts within one song's performance between the two shows so the suddenly the dancers their outfits are changing because they had different outfits in the two shows but they are in the same spot on the stage yeah. doing the same yeah move. it's like really really well practiced well timed and yeah. well executed and well, it's funny watching it because you sort of feel like you already have watched it like i didn't watch the live stream and i i haven't really seen i have i realized i actually haven't seen any video footage but this happened last year and it's already kind of soaked into our like collective consciousness like we we know what these we these symbols are and these moves are and they've already been parodied and i think what this shows also is that this moment in Co- coachella this kind of big show moment in Coachella, which just happened this past weekend with Kanye West, has become something that like, it's a really coveted spot. Mm-hmm. Like Coachella, as the music fest bubble has burst, I think will continue to turn out these big cultural moments. And this is definitely one of those. It's mm-hmm. huge. I also just want to say again that Beyonce did this some matter of months after giving birth to twins. Yeah. And the behind the music parts of the uh, docudrama or whatever on Netflix do go into this a little bit and you get a better appreciation for just how hard that was to pull off. Right. And it's so many people, you know, like it's it's over a hundred people that she is, you know, moving intricately in between and directing. And she you can tell that she had a huge, huge, huge portion in it and that she chose every last little detail um, of of what this performance was going to be. Um and the stage production is really, is really nuts. I, it reminded me a lot of actually like the construction of the actual stage. Obviously, it's bleachers and it looks like it's, you know, it's at a college sports game. But the bleachers look like it's a sort of big 1920s musical. It's kind of set up mm-hmm. like it's this big Broadway <laughs> show, but it's, it's not, it's not that at all. Right. And so I think it's, there's a very interesting sort of, uh, like reclaiming of the stage that is very exciting to watch. The, mm-hmm. the construction of it is, I, I, I went to, I went to theater school and I was very <laughs> I was very into the stage picture. All right, so worth watching. Yeah, I but would long. Say. Yes. Yeah, it, it is it's a, it's long. We it's stop. like a Friday night kind of thing. Settle in. Yeah. Play it in the background and get drunk and be okay if you want to stop watching. <laughs> Cuz we did. <laughs> however, or maybe it's not however, but just in addition, you do need to know that someone is coming for Beyoncé's throne mm-hmm. atop the charts and yeah. that is Lizzo. Lizzo's Cuz I Love You hit number 1 on iTunes ahead of Beyonce's homecoming album just recently. Yeah. Um, and Lizzo is having a huge moment. But let's ask the question that Dan Savage was not afraid to ask after our last <laughs> segment. 
Who is Lizzo? Who Chase. is Lizzo? Well, she's uh, she's a hip hop artist. She's a pop artist. Uh, this is her third album, and now it's on. She's a flautist. She's a flautist. She's actually a very, very An amazing, good, amazing flautist. Yeah, Jasmine wrote about it. And twerk, twerk, yeah, uh, she's phenomenon a twerk artist, twerker. You know, there's a lot, but yeah. she just released her third studio album with Atlantic Records called "Cause I Love You." Album. Yeah, yeah. Um, shout out to the podcast Two Dope Queens, which in a live show they have video you can find it on YouTube and of, HBO of Lizzo playing the flute and twerking mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah, she does it a lot. She recently, like a year ago, she started incorporating the flute back into uh, her shows. And it's been a, it's been more than a gimmick because she's actually a very, she's a very good flautist. Yeah. Okay. And people, yeah, that's, it's incredible. <laughs> Sorry. I, I can't stress enough how great it is to watch someone twerk, play the flute, hit the shoot and then sing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's like one of the most famous Instagram videos of uh, Lizzo. Like, whoa, have you ever seen someone play the flute and then hit the shoot? Just yeah. Google that and you'll see the video. <laughs> yeah, it's really helped catapult her. She really is. Uh, she's a big social media persona. Yeah. But I would kind of say that Lizzo's music's popularity is not really about her classical training as a flautist <laughs> or even that she can play the flute. It's something about her music. And yeah. the attempt this week or last week by a reviewer at Pitchfork to describe what it is about Lizzo that is captivating people's attention got this critic in trouble with Lizzo. So one thing the Pitchfork critic said is that what Lizzo is doing is uh, empowerment core, kind yeah. of. That was the that was kind of the the strongest point in the piece, uh, and it really uh, it set Lizzo off in a way that. Uh, created a bit of drama for a couple days. But yeah. what does she even mean, this critic? I, I think that she's talking about like Lizzo is she's big, right? And she's black and she has all these identities and all this this music that really speaks to a hu- lot of different types of people, you know, to black women, to fat people, to single people, to the gays, like really anyone can connect in with what her message is, which is that like, you're beautiful and uh, I'm a thick bitch. I need tempo, you know, Mm -hmm. like that, that kind of empowerment, like love yourself for who you are. I'm a thick bitch. I need tempo is literally the lyric from her new uh, release tempo. Right. Um, And so I think that this critic is giving this, you know, this phenomenon a name, which I had never really empowerment core is a new word. It's a, she, it's it's a, a new, new concept. Yeah. Mm. And, and um, it's not, I wouldn't say that it's, it's an accurate representation, uh, and that it's actually a diss. I don't think she's using it as a clear, like, this is the genre of, of Lizzo's music. So it's not, it's not really a music genre. It's okay. A, but Lizzo, okay. Just, I want to come back to this yeah. because I do want to understand why it's a diss, but Lizzo kind of, came to people's attention through a video where she slowly took off, you know, all her clothes and talked about accepting Yeah, her that's how the large pitchfork body. article explains that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think an Atlantic article also, and anyway, it's out there on YouTube. And yeah, she is all about, I love myself, I love my body, fuck you, don't need a man except when I want a man, and when the man is, you know, when I'm done with the man, goodbye to the man. It's basically, as I understand it, like Lizzo's creed. And so there is something about like, yeah, her thing is self-love, empowerment of uh, someone who's got a, a way of being in the world that's not always embraced. And so what is wrong 
with calling it empowerment core. Well, th- well, I, well, and also before we go forward, I should say uh, that the whole reason why this became a thing, I mean, it's just a review and pitch fork. Like, yeah. it shouldn't there matter. There are a lot of reviews that came out. Yeah, and Lizzo, she tweeted out um, around the time that this article dropped. She didn't mention the, na- the reviewer or Pitchfork at all, but she said that people who review albums and don't make music themselves should be unemployed. Um, you know, which is a, a ridiculous statement. And I'm yeah. not just saying that as someone that writes about music. Um, but it's just like, oh, if I'm not, if I can't cook, then I can't enjoy food. Right. You know, it, it's this kind of logic that is, it just makes her seem really defensive about her work because, you know, she's been getting rapturous reviews, mm-hmm. you know, and she's been getting such good press. And she's, I mean, she's working her ass off for sure. The, where me and Chase kind of differ in where this review, you know, in our opinions about this review is that I think that the pitchfork, you know, commentary, it, it wasn't personal. It didn't go over the line. And I think that she brought up mostly valid points about empowerment core, about, you know, Lizzo's appeal, um, about where Lizzo could be better, you know, or, or, or where she kind of falls um, or fails, I should say. Lizzo's fans do not agree with you yeah and and chase, I, I, I mean yeah chase who i've accused yeah. of being ride or die lizzo well, also I, doesn't agree it's, with well you. it's difficult to kind of look at this this event for myself because on one end i'm a fan and i've been we i lived in minneapolis when she was kind of blowing up i've been to a lot of her shows for since very early on and so there's that kind of fan reaction mm-hmm. where you you read these lines and you're like oh i just really disagree with the way that you're 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 framing her music but then as a critic there's my response to lizzo which is just sort of of like I can't believe that she tweeted something like that. It's mm-hmm. it's it's I don't I hope that she doesn't sincerely believe that because it's a wild opinion. It's almost Trumpian. It's like saying a, a city hall reporter has to be a politician to report on city hall. It, <laughs> it makes no is sense. totally yeah. Trumpian. That's yeah. how I read it. Like and it was if you get under my skin, I'm going to create a new you know rule about yeah. who can criticize me and who can't. And I should note that she she walked it back a little bit. Um, she invited music journalists to like come into her studio to like see what she, <laughs> she does. All music journalists. The yeah. way that she walked this back was saying, you know what? I just don't understand music journalists. You can all come into my studio, which is a it not an invitation that's not real Uh (laughs) that's not possible can we just rewind though because you you i think understand this or you have a theory about this what what is wrong or what got under lizzo's skin about calling her music empowerment core being all about self-empowerment which it is well there are a couple things around empowerment core empowerment core um comes out of a problem that the writer sets up at the beginning of the piece which is that she's sort of genreless and that she and she also sort of created an album that could be sung by any one of uh the artists on atlantic records roster basically she's sort of like megan trainer could do this mm-hmm. they share a producer which she also knows and they share mm-hmm. a producer but also <laughs> this producer uh his name is ryan olson he also produces uh he also produces Pitbull. He's produced Jesse J. He's produced Kevin Abstract. And so the only reason that I think he she made this uh, Megan Trainer uh, reference. And if you do you know do you know who Megan Trainer is? I had to look her up. I it's mean, all about that bass. Yeah, that she's bass the all about that bass singer. She's Christian. She's sort of like Swansea. She's very very boring. <laughs> Not who you want to be compared to if you're Lizzo. Also, no, she's she a sings, white lady. Yeah, she sings doo-wop. She sings White Soul. And Natasha Bedingfield was... she. This writer also compared Lizzo to Natasha Bedingfield, who also sings White Soul or like Blue-Eyed Soul. And she also sings sort of doo-wop. And it's just sort of like Lizzo doesn't sing doo-wop. And the, but they're the, both all empowerment. Yeah, Have you listened to Unwritten? Have you listened to but, all about that bass? It's all it's all kind of about re- feeling the rain on your skin. No one else can feel it for you. Yeah, but you Lizzo know? will be like, I had a threesome. I fucking three times every single night. And then fucking 
Megan Trainer, the lyrics are literally like, take me out dancing, don't forget romancing, and it's been a while since I've been your princess. Like, it's all, it's a completely different way that she sings about men. And so to call them both empowerment court and to flatten it in that way just seems like it, this writer, obviously, in my opinion, doesn't like Lizzo. Mm-hmm. And these, these statements are just, I, 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 they're not factual. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's an opinion. I review, it's but an a, opinion. I review and like you know, as, as an a critic, I would have said yes to this. I'll yeah, say. that's what was also funny to me. But um, I, I think that it's a critic's job to to frame something and bring their own personal experience. Like if I had written that, yes. I would have brought something completely different. If Chase did, he obviously <laughs> would have brought something different to mm-hmm. it. But I, I don't think that it was un. I don't think it's unfair to make that comparison. And I don't. And I think. And, and she's obviously allowed to. My frustration is that actually it's this tw- this Lizzo Twitter tweet that makes us have to talk about this and that mm-hmm. it sets it up as like these two points that we have to argue from, which is like this Pitchfork article and Lizzo's bad tweet. And I just feel like it blurs it blurs a lot of what's great in the album and it's frustrating that that's the way that we're analyzing this. And I, I think for me as a black critic as well and the person that wrote this, uh, Rawia um, Kamir, um, she's a black woman. I thought it was interesting and it was like very brave because I think as black critics, as black writers, especially black women writers, there's this kind of like, you know, this weird push to towards respectability or towards like uplifting everything and and kind of jumping over some of the rougher bits of, you know, of music or a persona or something like that. And so I really appreciated that. She kind of went no holds barred. Right. She didn't give Lizzo a pass. Yeah. And and she she held Lizzo to a standard that. I have yet to, I had yet to really see. I mean, even me, like I've written about Lizzo. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that she brought a kind of criticism and a critical outlook to her work. Um, that was, I thought respectful, but you know, but also kind of, of rigorous in a way that, you know, sometimes it's not always encouraged to be that way. I mean, she, <laughs> she literally, she says that the <laughs> rapping of Lizzo is basically like an SNL sketch. sketch. <laughs> she it's does not, say that. It's it not positive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wish that everyone could see Chase's face when Jasmine said that this review was respectful because <laughs> you obviously feel, Chase, that Lizzo I, has well, been badly disrespected. But I also want to say, like, I don't like half of this new album. Like, I'm not sitting here being like, this is the best art that's ever been made. I just think that points made in this Pitchfork review, I just wholeheartedly disagree with a lot of them. Okay. But we can kind of agree, and maybe we should just say it quietly so we don't upset Lizzo. We can but, say it loudly. Okay. <laughs> she is empowerment core. Well, oh, <laughs> like, I didn't know that's what we were saying. Oh, <laughs> you disagree? <laughs> I disagree with that. All right. Okay. We will have to duke that out after the show in addition to what we just did during I agree the that show. her tweet was bad. But y'all y'all should really listen. Y'all blabbermouth listeners we should really listen to some of Because I Love You. Okay. <laughs> yeah, some of it. Some of it. Yeah. Tempo and juice. It's really good. Yeah. It is good. Um, I endorse Tempo. That is a good song. (laughs) But uh, yeah, we'll just leave a hung jury on the question of whether this is really empowerment music, which I don't know how you can argue it's not. But okay. empowerment music. I just don't believe that that's a genre. (laughs) Thanks, Chase. Thanks. Thanks, Jasmine. Thanks, Eli. And that's the show. If you've got something you want to say to Dan Savage, Rich Smith, Katie Herzog, Jasmine Koenig, Chase Burns, or me, call the Blabberphone. 206 302-2063 or dive on into our Blabbermouth Podcast Facebook group. Thanks as always to Ahame Fileje Aluo for making the music we use on the show each week and to Nancy Hartunian for bringing our blabbering mouths to your ears. <laughs> <laughs>